And Father, we thank you for uh, another beautiful fall day. We are grateful for the beauty of this time of year and uh, for the uh, mild uh, temperatures that we've had. And we thank you for the manifold ways in which you provide for our life and health and joy in living. And we pray that that joy would express our set, it would express itself in all the parts of who we are. And we thank you especially now for the fellowship of uh, this time to study. And we pray that our hearts and minds would be open to the truth of your word that your spirit would be at work, that we might embrace it and uh, learn better to see our lives conform to it. And we pray all of this for the glory of our Savior and King, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, um, let me mention now, and if somebody will help me to remember to mention it at the end of our time, um, the uh, congregation through the session wonderfully grants me uh, vacation time during the year, four weeks vacation. Um, I have a tendency to forget that until the end of the year <laughs> and thus desperately have to try and fit it in. Um, so, on November 23rd and and 30th, we won't have any class. And on December 21st and 28th, we won't have any class. And uh, that way I'll get my four weeks in. Um, the uh, I know for the first, and we're very excited, or at least I am, Jen's been out there, but... Uh, Jenny and I are going to go out to uh, visit uh, our daughter Sarah and her family um, in Grand Junction, Colorado. So we're looking forward to Thanksgiving with them, and that should be uh, a wonderful time. Um, my voice, uh, for some reason, is not what it was, and I don't exactly notice it. So if my voice drops down. Somebody wave your hand and say, speak up, will you? And I'll try and do heart, uh, more. Um, the, um, but uh, I'll repeat that at the end so the folks who aren't with us just now uh, can hear that also. We're studying wholesome words, uh, the believers calling to godly speech. Uh, we were... Uh, last time on the fourth of our considerations of the words of the wise. Um, and uh, although it wasn't planned this way, uh, this is part two of characteristics of wholesome words. We began with part one last time. And when we began, we um, uh, took Proverbs twenty four twenty six as an instance um, a lovely little saying, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Here we found a very general saying about truth speaking and about the benefits of truth speaking. The Hebrew translated in our text, honest answer, is a geometric term uh, for straight ahead. And here it's used metaphorically, as I noted last week, we might say whoever is a straight shooter in our idiom. And the wise man says that the straight shooter is one who kisses the lips. Now this sound, sounded to our ears perhaps a little scandalous. Uh, but in the Old Testament world, primarily this act is either one of homage or an act of familial affection. And either sense of the word fits, very, fits the verse very well here. Uh, that is, that an, uh, an honest answer treats the hearer with respect or affection, or probably best to think of both. 
thus we noted that honest answers are a blessing. They create and maintain wholesome relations with appreciative hearers. And we recalled Lady Wisdom's description of her own words in Proverbs 8, 8 and 9. All the words of my mouth are righteous, she said. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. In other words, she's a straight shooter. And they are all straight to him who understands and right to him who finds knowledge. Well, in, in, in this text, we found an instance of the character of wholesome words, uh, the subject of our study, the wholesome words. We found an instance of the character of it, uh, and this is a matter that Proverbs is much concerned with. And in fact, uh, we uh, insisted that there are four main characteristics of wholesome words according to the sages of Israel. Uh, wholesome words are honest, they're apt, they're few, and they are profitable. And so we began to explore some of the Proverbs uh, that set before us these characteristics, to understand why the characteristics are to be valued and why they ought to be emulated. And so last week, uh, we began with the first Wholesome words are honest words. That is, they communicate what we think is the real state of affairs. What the, are the facts at hand? This is the most important of the characteristics. Because uh, the calling to speak honestly is rooted in our nature as those created in the image of God. To speak as he speaks. We then, uh, somewhat hurriedly, but uh, I think not short-suiting it, we went on to consider that wholesome words are apt. That is to say, they are appropriate or fitting. They're suitable to the circumstances. Uh, And thus we showed how, according to the Proverbs, uh, apt words are purposeful words. They're ordered to some end to be gained by them. Uh, They're informed by the circumstances in which they are spoken. And they're informed by the state of the one that is spoken to. As such, apt words are things of beauty, according to the Proverbs. There's a distinct aesthetic element acknowledged here. And as uh, beautiful, they bring joy to the rightly situated hearer. Well, that's where we've been thus far. And before we begin with tonight's uh, conclusion, let me ask, are there any questions from last week that anyone has or would like to raise um, uh, since we were last together? All right, well, seeing none, then let me uh, pray for us and we'll begin tonight's lesson. Father, we do give you thanks for the the extraordinary um, wonder of our created nature, that we are created in your image. And we thank you that uh, one of the chief elements of our giftedness as image bearers is the capacity of communication of speech. And we pray that even just rehearsing briefly now these two elements of wholesome speech, uh, that it's honest and apt, we would be stirred to see this in your speech, in your word, and seeing it there, to learn better to be speakers in your image ourselves that we might have a wholesome word to contribute in every circumstance. Be with us tonight, then, we pray, as we continue and conclude this portion of our reflections on 
uh, these matters, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight, uh, the third characteristic that we find identified, and I, I hope you all have um, a copy of the uh, scripture text list that I've sent out. Um, hope everybody that's on has been getting those. Um, tonight, we take up uh, the third characteristic that wholesome words are few. And uh, I say this uh, might seem to be a curious uh, characteristic um, the um, uh, you might think that if uh, wholesome words are good uh, then uh, the more of a good thing the better well to disabuse ourselves of this immediately it might be worth a little thought experiment uh, the uh, if you think of Twinkies you know, the sponge, the way the British would say sponge, uh, cake that uh, is stuffed with cream, probably originally was sponge cake and, uh, and, and probably originally was lovely cream, but by my day it was a concoction of various kinds of chemicals that mirrored those lovely circumstances. Uh, but nonetheless, to my immature taste, they were absolutely delightful. And I just, uh, I could think of hardly anything more wonderful than to open a package of Twinkies and uh, uh, scarf them down. But then if you'd have offered me 10 Twinkies, I, I might have been sorely tempted and thought it was near heaven. And, uh, but if I'd have eaten 40 Twinkies, uh, there is no doubt that I would have thought Twinkies were the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the cosmos. Uh, however good a thing might be in its proper measure, uh, more of it than is needed uh, can do great harm. Uh, uh, it can be uh, uh, hurtful either <laughs> by being nauseating uh, or by disrupting or... Um, bringing other kinds of pain, and all of those are equally applicable to too many words. Uh, and it's good to pay attention to this. Um, here we come across another element of wisdom in the Proverbs. Uh, this is, uh, the Proverbs hold forth a, a, a virtue uh, that we might uh, summarize as self-mastery. To be the master of yourself is to finally be free, not to be at the mercy of your own appetites and impulses, but rather to order them according to wisdom is the good life. And um, self-mastery applies to a host of areas, but in the Proverbs, particularly um, uh the um, discipline with respect to words is a crucial element of self-mastery. And you see this in Proverbs 17, 27, for example. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Uh, now, there, we could spend a long time reflecting on this, um, but uh, the, um, the point is, you remember, we, we've already said that to speak well, you don't have to say everything you know, but you want to speak what is known for the purpose of some good. But it's always possible uh, that if you're not adept at speaking, you say more than you should say, more than a person ought to know about the circumstances. If you're careless and uh, thoughtless about how that knowledge might affect a person in a given set of circumstances. Um, and particular, uh, the coda in this proverb, he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. 
uh, to say words rashly, to say them in the heat of the moment, makes it especially liable that we do harm with our words. And to have self-mastery with respect to them, to speak few, especially when uh, we're impassioned in some way, is a critical element of speaking in a way that is wholesome. Um, I would be, I would feel it legitimate to guess that many of you, if you think of things you least like about the history of your life, you would include times that you spoke rashly or in the heat of a moment, words you'd love to take back, words you'd love to have never been heard. Uh, that's what uh, the wise man is getting at here. Um, uh, that they're few in the sense that we've mastered ourselves and we're measured then in the way that we speak. An element of this we've hinted at in the reflections we've just undertaken, but the Proverbs make it explicit that many words uh, lead to sin. Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, Transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Where words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. What, what are the wise getting at here? Well, um, the, uh, I'm sorry? No, that was probably just a, yeah. The, um, w- well, he, uh, we can say this much. The more you say, the more you're responsible for. <laughs> the more you have to give an account for with respect to honesty and with respect to fitness, the first two categories that we've looked at. And, um, and, and so if you limit yourself to the things that you're, most confident of and that seem most appropriate to you, you're in simply a safer position to act wholesomely. Um, the, uh, you think of how often a, a, a story grows in the telling, uh, that you begin by giving an account of something relatively straightforward, but uh, as you go on and keep on, uh, you keep elaborating and becoming uh, uh, more ver- verbose and you wander from the truth, uh, sometimes perhaps inadvertently, but just because the story sort of takes on a life of its own uh, as opposed to it being an expression of your own uh, life experience. And uh, I think that's part of what uh, the wise men are getting at here, that uh, prudence um, leads to a restraint of our lips. Uh, Furthermore, uh, the more you say, the more likely you are to display your limits to others uh, in a way that you need not expose yourself to. Um, uh, uh, So Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. (laughs) Uh, And you see the corollary is, well, that if you're just blabbing away, you you may give the impression, and rightly so, that you're a person of lacking of consideration and, uh, and experience and wisdom and so on. Uh, when I was a kid, I, it was some perversion of my nature, I think, but I came across and fell at, in love with, at a very young age, Poor Richard's Almanac. Uh, you may know that was the uh, literary production of Benjamin Franklin, and one of the things that was uh, a crucial element of Poor Richard was uh, these uh, aphorisms, wise sayings that uh, he would include. One of my favorites at an early age. Tis better to keep silent 
and not let everyone know that you're ignorant than to speak and remove all doubt. <laughs> the, um, uh, and I, I think that has served me in good stead uh, for, for my lifetime. Uh, and I think that's just a variation on the theme of Proverbs 17, 28. Um, uh, so, um, there's another element of prudence in having our words be few. Uh, furthermore, many words may reveal a kind of ignorant self-centeredness. Um, think of Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Here, uh, remember, if if our purpose in a wholesome speech is to communicate honestly, to communicate truth, to have it be apt to the circumstances, um, the uh, if I'm not motivated by contributing in that way, but only by just simply contributing then I betray a, a kind of self-centeredness, a, a, a foolishness uh, that um, is uh, to be turned away from according to the path of wisdom. Um, and so, um, the, uh, we can conclude properly that since wholesome words are few, Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens his wide his lips comes to ruin. It's a striking conclusion following from what we've been saying, but certainly true. Since wholesome words are true, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but whoever opens his lip wide, lips wise comes to ruin. Or again in Proverbs 21.23, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Well, wholesome words then. They're honest words. They're apt words. They are few. Uh, let me pause there and see if you have questions, comments, reflections um, on this characteristic of wholesome words. Have you noticed this to be true about the world? <laughs> Is it confirmed in your own experience? I'll, I'll answer for everyone, Dave. <laughs> well, the other thing I was thinking is it is interesting to me reading in the Gospels that even when, when Jesus is at his most ferocious, for lack of a better word, say in dealing with some of the Pharisees and those confrontations. He's still in some ways very restrained in what he says. He says what needs to be said and 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 does so very powerfully, but Yes. Yeah. Self mastery. Yeah, I, I, exactly. Yeah. I think I think that's the, the right yeah, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. Wonderful. Good point. Any other thoughts or reflections or questions? All right, um, let's press on then. Um, the, uh, we want to insist that wholesome words are profitable. That's the fourth uh, characteristic. Um, the, um, the, uh, there's a host of inducements under this category set forth by the sages. Uh, first, they're profitable in this, uh, that they're informing, uh, that they convey knowledge. So Proverbs 10.32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. And that's part of it. They offer guidance in that. What What is fitting? What is right in this circumstance or that 
in a way that can guide a person who may not have the experience to know what's acceptable in a given set of circumstances. Or Proverbs 15.7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. So they're profitable uh, in, in that they're informing, uh, in that they convey knowledge. Um, the, uh, the idea is repeated again in Proverbs 15.2. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. And you remember, the idea of folly here is, um, uh, again, not a, a matter of uh, brain power, not a matter of intellectual capacity, uh, but it means uh, a, a want of practical wisdom, uh, of a, a, a well-ordered choice of means to accomplish ends that are valuable. And the fool is full of this. Uh, the wise, uh, on the other hand, uh, commends uh, that which is needed to live well. And because of that, um, the uh, the words of uh, the wholesome words are said to be nourishing. They uh, provide the wherewithal to live a profitable life. Proverbs ten twenty one: the lips of the righteous feed many. And um, this is an interesting imagery. Uh, the um, uh, think of how if a great number of people uh, were needy and hungry uh, you would not physically have the capacity to feed them all you wouldn't have the wherewithal to do it um, the and, and that's the marvel of, for example, Jesus and feeding the 5,000. Here, he looks out with empathy on people and, um, the, and he sees that they're hungry and uh, he, he performs a wonderful miracle of taking a few loaves and fishes and feeding 5,000. Well, um, we can use that as an image of what is possible for wholesome words. Because just a few wholesome words, a few words that are well adapted to the need or circumstance are capable of filling thousands, are, are capable of meeting the need of many, many, many more people than we might have ever imagined if we're simply thoughtful and well-practiced uh, and um, well encouraged to offer a wholesome word in different uh, circumstances, to do good far beyond what m might have appeared to be uh, our, our capacity. Thirdly, um, the uh, the wholesome word. Excuse me. Uh, the wholesome word is profitable in this is that it's cheering. Proverbs 25, 12. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Isn't that a precious counsel? How many of you have known anxiety and felt the um, uh, deep corrosive power of an anxious spirit? And simply this, a good word, can overcome that anxiety and bring gladness to the heart of another person. If it's honest, if it's well adapted and so on, uh, it, it has an ex it, it's an extraordinary gift that you can bring to another. Uh, and um, therefore, it's healing. Proverbs twelve eighteen: the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
uh, in a host of ways, often beyond what we'll know or understand, uh, we can uh, overcome the wounds and the diseases of a, a soul by having a word well adapted. Uh, the, um, it can bring peace. Proverbs 15.1 uh, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is an extraordinary truth. And perhaps it's best to think about it first by meditating upon how wicked it is to do the opposite. And how often that's the way speech is used in our culture just now. Somebody's angry. Their anger is expressed toward you. And you deliberately have a harsh word, knowing that it'll stir the person up to further outrage and uh, fury. Because we take a perverse delight in seeing a person be foolishly furious. But how wicked a thing it is to stir a person's soul into that kind of uh, uh, destructive circumstance. So, so many of us, and I have to say, in my own judgment, our culture is... Uh, damnably guilty now, particularly in, in popular culture and social media, that it's almost a game to have harsh words to stir up anger and fury, and that f frenzy is thought to be the only appropriate uh, circumstance uh, for social interaction. But then look at the contrary, that a softer answer turns away wrath. That we have the capacity, if we'll master ourselves, however we might be provoked, and answer softly, answer kindly, to, to uh, uh, what, what's the old phrase, to pour, pour oil on the waters, to to have a soothing word, to a, a word that damp, dampens the fire and puts it out instead of causing it to rage. Um, I have to confess here that uh, my grandfather, perhaps this was the proverb he quoted to me uh, more frequently than any proverb I could exactly, <laughs> I think, remember hearing. And uh, I have a feeling it was probably especially apt that he thought I needed to hear that, uh, that my own sensibility may have been uh, unhappily too much in the other direction. But um, what, what a precious gift wholesome words are to have such a power in the life of others. Uh, and therefore, in this, nourishing, cheering, healing, calming, uh, such words are life-giving. Uh, in some ways, the sum of it all. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And to, bre to break a person's spirit is a, a, a consummately terrible crime. But to, to bring life to another person through so simple a means, through the gift of speech, how precious that is. And that we don't count it as precious and that we don't long uh, for it to be the case that God would give us the grace that that would be our speech. Um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, when he was a young man, this, he wasn't unique and this was characteristics, characteristic of Puritan young people, that they would uh, make resolutions for themselves. They thought res resolvedness was a crucial element of building character. And um, one of the resolutions they framed for himself is this. Uh, 
to let there be something of benevolence in everything I speak. Here Edwards had captured this idea uh, that these words are to be profitable. Something of benevolence. You remember benevolence is uh, well-willing. Something that expresses my desire, my will, that another person be well, that they would be would profit in some way, that they would, uh, um, well, uh, something of benevolence in everything I speak, a wonderful resolution. And, and of course, the Proverbs sustain that idea that that should be an aspiration of our lives. Overall, uh, such words are precious indeed. And the, um, the, the Proverbs... Uh, use a number of metaphors to try and reinforce that on us, to drive the idea home to us. Proverbs 10.20 The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. It's something extraordinarily precious uh, to be valued uh, above all kinds of uh, alternatives. Or again in Proverbs 19.1 Better is the poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Now you'll notice in the parallelism of Hebrew wisdom literature, integrity here might seem better as the poor person who walks in integrity. It may seem like a very broad and general character. Integrity is sort of integration and integrated life. Uh, but n- notice that the ending to the proverb interprets the integrity that's in view here. Better to be a poor person who walks his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Abject poverty is to be preferred so long as um, there's an integration uh, between your speech, it being wholesome, it being straight, not crooked, it being apt, not foolish. Um, And so the concluding summation uh, in Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Isn't that a wonderful uh, conclusion of the whole matter here? Uh, Like honeycomb, sweetness and health. Well, let me uh, pause there and uh, see if you have questions, comments, reflections. So we've talked about uh, wholesome words, their characteristics. We've said that they're Honest words, they're apt words. Um, They are uh, words that um, uh, are uh, few and they're words that are profitable. Um, Thoughts, reflections, illustrations, anything you'd like to say. Uh, Chambers. I just really appreciate how you're covering this and to tack on a little bit to what Chris was saying and pointing out the focus on what we're focusing on and well, what you were saying too, Dave, but our focus turning away from a self-centered approach to what we're looking at saying or in talking too much or using too many words, then we really are getting out of perspective on what the purpose behind what those words are to do yes yes sure you you can think of it this way you you um somebody is thirsty and so on and they need to have some water and so you hold the glass to their mouth but suddenly you just keep tilting it up and up and pouring the glass and the water's going down all over them and so on the the, you're not doing any good if you if you don't have a, a, a measured sense of what is needed. <laughs> Other 
thoughts or reflections or comments or uh, questions, objections? Dave, I have a little something. Yes, please. Um, all this has reminded me of a quote um, that I've long appreciated, and it is this. An idea, fitly put, is taken in without effort. And once in, the idea behaves like a living creature. It feeds, grows, and multiplies. How am I? Oh, that's lovely. Sure, that... Oh, I just like the effect because, um, I mean, the subject of the sentence is idea, but I think that we can um, easily substitute... Um, um, a wholesome word. Yes. A wholesome word that is fitly put, is taken in without effort. And once in, it behaves like a living creature. Yes, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's, uh, I think very aptly uh, adjusted to uh, speak to our circumstance. Do, do you know the source of that saying? Um, you know, uh, regrettably, I didn't put that, which is, um, I tell my students to always note your source, but um, I think, I'm, I feel I can, uh, with a measure of certainty, say it's probably Charlotte Mason. Oh, a, oh yes, sure. British um, educator. Yeah. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Any other thoughts or reflections here? All right. Well, um, so uh, what I want to do in conclusion this evening is, uh, you remember, uh, well, if you weren't in our discussion on Sunday, you won't remember, but for those of you who were, um, we talked about how um, there are some psalms that are said to be messianic uh, and because they're thought to be prophetic with respect to things about Jesus and his ministry and um, the and so on. But um, that there's a sense in which all of the Psalms are messianic in that uh, they um, set forth the the model of the uh, um, godly person um, and that Israel was to be trained in godliness through these poems, these songs, and that, in fact, our Lord was trained in godliness through the songs. The Psalms were a crucial element in him growing in uh, godliness and in stature and in the eyes of the people. Um, and uh, therefore, it's entirely appropriate to look at the life of our Lord to, uh, to try and see evidence of those psalms at work. Well, what I want to insist upon the same thing is with respect to the wisdom literature, that our Savior, pre-incarnate, is wisdom uh, itself. And that uh, the what uh, the beginning of Proverbs talks about it as wisdom um, is just what we learn is that that word of wisdom is the wisdom that was was God and was with God and is nothing other than the second person of the Trinity, the living word of God. And that uh, we can look in the life of Christ and see the perfect embodiment of all of the wisdom of the Proverbs. And here I think it's... Uh, not without profit, to then do that with respect to the characteristics of wholesome words. We can see in Jesus uh, words, him using words uh, in this characteristically wholesome way, that he speaks honestly, he speaks the truth. 
that he speaks aptly. His words are well tuned to the circumstances and to the people that he's speaking to. Um, that his uh, um, words are uh, not voluminous. I mean, you think of people talking about great sermons, and although we probably, there's more recorded than the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, by our standards of sermons, the Sermon on the Mount would hardly qualify as a sermon in so few words, but those words are so potent and so well adapted um, that, of course, it's a remarkable sermon. Um, and the uh, uh, so too uh, profitable. Uh, his words are profitable. And so we can see then the beauty and wonder of our Savior uh, in him, the embodiment of wholesome words as they're taught by the sages of Israel. And in fact, it can be a wholesome thing for you if, you know, sometimes um, it's a wonderful thing to read the scripture again and again and to become very uh, familiar with it. But sometimes familiarity, even with scripture, can breed contempt. You kind of coast over things you think you know. And so to have a different perspective to bring to the reading can uh, challenge and awaken you to it in a way that uh, perhaps had been lost. And I would say this would be a very fruitful thing to read through the Gospels with this in view. How do I find these four characteristics of wholesome words in the words of my Savior and his ministry? It could be be a very uh, stirring study. But surely, uh, uh, we see, of course, that if honesty is the preeminent character of wholesome words, that his words were preeminently wholesome because they were preeminently honest. Um, And he could uh, uh, challenge even his opponents uh, with respect to that point. In John 8, 40, we hear uh, him responding to the animosity that he faced. And he said, you seek to kill me. A man who told you the truth that he heard from God. And he could say that without any uh, fear of contradiction or um, any uh, fear that somehow he would be caught up short. Um, So much so is this the case with respect to Jesus in his ministry, is that this is his title preeminently in uh, Revelation 1.5. Revelation is uh, going to be uh, an unfolding of uh, the last age of redemptive history in the symbolical terms. But Jesus is spoken of then as the faithful witness. That's his uh, preeminent title with respect to these things, the faithful witness. Uh, Jesus Christ, um, the uh, one shorthand way of talking about him uh, in the Gospels, which was, is in some ways curious. Uh, it was for me for years before I had a, t- a chance to attend to it in any direct way. But remember how Paul talks about him uh, as the one who, uh, uh, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate, made a good confession, made the good confession. And uh, it always kind of occurred to me, what, what's the point of highlighting that? Uh, but of course, if we attend to it for a minute here, Pontius Pilate is representing all the power in the world at the time. Uh, and a power that could easily be brought to bear on Christ as the most ominous threat you could find in the world. And yet, in the face of that, uh, he makes a good confession that he speaks words that are true and honest, undaunted by uh, the power of this world um, and the opposition of this world. And then we see it uh, at work um, here's where that phraseology 
was earned in John 18, 37. Pilate looks at him and says, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. There are preeminently wholesome words. This was his ministry, uh, to bear witness to the truth. Um, And the apostles then took up this same uh, commitment to wholesome words. And what we have in the New Testament then because of that are preeminently wholesome words. Uh, John in 1935 speaks of the apostles' labor Speaking of himself, he says that he saw it and has borne witness and his testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth that you may believe. The apostles were committed to that on our behalf to convey to us honest words, wholesome words that could fulfill God's purpose in having them uh, spoken. Uh, And finally, it's this that leads uh, to the conquest that's needful for our salvation. Uh, Revelation 12, 11 uh, speaks of believers as those who have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. That the truth of wholesome words Uh, was more important to them uh, than life, and because of that, they lived. Uh, As we've said, wholesome words are life-giving words. So there would be uh, one instance uh, with respect to the first in reflecting a little on the life of Christ. Um, The second is that his words were apt. Um, They fulfilled his purpose. Now, notice this. Sometimes his purpose was to hide the truth. Think of the parables. Um, Somewhat foolishly, it's not uncommon for um, Christian teachers, and especially Christian teachers who are not too enthusiastic about doctrine, they want to offer Jesus as an alternative. And... uh, they want to say he didn't care for all these abstract doctrinal principles. He liked to tell stories and that this is a sort of better way to go. But of course, for Jesus, <laughs> he, he says explicitly the parables were in order to hide the truth, uh, not to reveal it, because they were a form of curse uh, that there wasn't plain speaking gone going on with respect to these who were opponents. Um, but the point is, his words were apt. They, were, uh, they had a purpose, and they fulfilled the purpose for which he chose them. Um, they were fitted to his hearers, to the capacity of his hearers, to the circumstances of them. Uh, you remember in John 16, 12, uh, he had... Revealed thus far to the disciples, but he said to them, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus was attentive precisely to what his hearers could bear, and he uh, ordered his speaking to them in a way that was full of wisdom. Uh, His words were wholesome. They were fitted to the circumstances, uh, public and private, and uh, therefore, his uh, words were certainly uh, wholesome. And his words were few. Um, the, uh, so, for example, in, in circumstances where uh, words were not um, going to be valued, where words were going to be scorned, he would simply refuse to speak. And you see that in uh, his trial. 
uh, his refusal to answer back and offer justifications under accusation that were no genuine accusations at all. Um, and he knew that. Um, and so too, even with respect to his teaching ministry, here you'd think that uh, all that was about was words. Um, but um, he knew that some things could be said to some th- people and uh, not to others. So in John two twenty four, we hear uh, uh, John gives us an insight into Jesus' own self-consciousness. He says Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And by entrust here, what John is getting us, he didn't reveal himself familiarly to them in the way that he did to his genuine disciples. He had a manner of speech that was uh, limited um, according to his purpose. And of course you remember his criticism of the uh, uh, Pharisees in Matthew 6 in their prayers because of keeping up word upon word and supposing that because their words were many uh, they would have greater access to the Father. Um, he said to his disciples, when you pray, do not he- heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard uh, for their many words. Preeminently, Jesus' words were profitable. Uh, his words truly were light. He was light, the light of the world. His words were uh, liberty um, and the, the, they set people free. You'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. His words were life itself. Um, and we are called to wholesome words as the disciples of Jesus. Um, particularly with respect to the truth. There's so much at stake in this matter. Negatively, the lie is satanic. It's from the pit. John eight forty four. you're of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But we have learned something according to the apostle entirely different in Ephesians 4.20. We learned Christ. And to learn Christ is to learn the truth that is in Jesus. That is to put off your old self and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God. And when Paul says that, what's the first thing that comes to his mind? putting off that old self and putting on the new self created in the likeness of God. What follows from uh, a renewed spirit of the mind? Verse 25, put away all falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Honest words. Very likely here Paul is citing from Zechariah, chapter 8 at verse 15. Uh, So I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judea. Fear not. These are the things you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for these things I hate declares the Lord. Uh, Paul makes the same point in Colossians 3 at verse 9. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after its creator. Honest words are like kisses, for we are members of one another. We have the common confession of the gospel, that enables our common calling, that creates fellowship, that empowers witness. Believers are called to speak apt words. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so we're called, challenged daily to consider before the Lord the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. Let them be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In some ways, this would be a fine debriefing for each day's words. Has this been the case, Lord? If not, I repent and help me. That no corrupting talk should come out of my mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There's the perfect summary of all that we've said from the Proverbs in that one verse. Let's pray together. Our great God, what a high privilege we have in Christ Jesus. We have the beauty of his embodiment of this teaching about wholesome words. We have your approval of the perfection of his embrace of wisdom by the resurrection of the dead. And as he reigns from on high, now he pours out his spirit transforming us, that we, having embraced the truth that is in Jesus, might be those who bear witness to him and show ourselves to be members of the community of the last age of redemptive history that embraces the calling to speak wholesome words, true words, apt words, few words but profitable words. Help us to be faithful witnesses. Help us to give grace to those who hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.